Our Constitution is a document in which we, the people, tell the government what it is allowed to do. We, the people, are free. Once again, we welcome you to Constitution Classroom here on the Loving Liberty Radio Network. And once again, we're pleased to welcome back to the studio Colonel John Eidsmo from the Foundation for Moral Law. Colonel, great to catch up with you. We are still in the midst of exploring the Ten Commandments and their impact on uh, not only our own jurisprudence, but systems of law ever since uh, Moses brought them down from Sinai. Absolutely. In fact, in my series, Historical and Theological Foundations of Law, I have a chapter titled Justice and Genesis, in which I demonstrate that every one of the Ten Commandments actually has its roots in the book of Genesis. And maybe one of these days we'll have a special session on that. But point being this, that the Ten Commandments were given by God's revelation there on Mount Sinai, but they'd also been written in our hearts from the time of creation. Natural law, as we sometimes call it, or as Paul calls it in Romans chapter 2, the law of God written on their hearts, that the basic principles of the Ten Commandments really precede Moses. And Moses receives them by divine revelation in the best form they've ever been given. But the principles have been there before. And I thought we might begin by looking to the scriptures and probably think I'm going to start with Exodus chapter 20, but instead I'm going to go to Ephesians 6. Paul's words in Ephesians 6, 1 through 5, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it, let me just shut that off. Can we start that sentence over? Yeah, go ahead and just pick up right where you left off. I'll, I'll make the edits. Okay. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long upon the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, obey or be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as to Christ. Honor thy father and thy mother, we are told here, and we're told it is the first commandment with promise. What does Paul mean calling it the first commandment with promise? Well, it's not the first commandment. The first commandment, of course, is using the Protestant version, is thou shalt love or, or have no other gods before me. But the first commandment with promise, the meaning of this is when we look to the commandment, there in Exodus chapter 20, the commandment says, Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The other commandments are just given. Sometimes a reason is given for them. Sometimes they're simply stated just as a commandment and nothing else. The old principle is because I said so. In regard to the Lord, that's all we really need. But with this commandment, 
it is given with a promise. You honor your father and mother, and the result is likely to be, and this is a general principle, it's not stated as an absolute promise, but the general principle is that your days will be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Honor your father and mother, and you're likely to live a long time. Now, what does that have to do with living a long time? Well, you might just consider a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 21. I remember when I was a little boy, and probably about sixth grade, and I was reading the Bible all the way through in bed when I was supposed to be asleep, but my parents weren't too upset with that. But at any rate, when I read this passage, I was just a little bit nervous about it. Deuteronomy 21, starting with verse 18. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who, when they have chastened him, will not hearken to them, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him, and bring him out to the elders of his city and to the gate of his palace, and they shall say to the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious, he will not obey our voice, he is a glutton and a drunkard, and all the men of his city shall stone him with stones, that he may die. So shall you remove evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. I can certainly say about that, that as a sixth grade boy, I read and feared. That kind of made me think twice about whether I should be disobedient. But how is this actually applied? Well, many believe that it was applied rather sparingly. And the picture that you get at first as you read this text is, here are these parents of this little child that are dragging out before the elders to be stoned to death. But let's look first of all. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, and the picture of the son here appears to be a, at least a teenager, maybe even a young adult. He's described as a glutton and a drunkard. That probably is not a little kid. And... Anyway, it is said of him that he does not obey the voice of his father and of his mother. And it says further, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him. In other words, first thing is the parents have to agree. Both parents have to agree that this action is to be taken. Second thing is, it says, you will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, who, when they have chastened him, will not hearken to them. In other words, the parents have to have done their part in trying to discipline it. And it sounds like we even have a defense for the child here, that a young man or whatever he is, that if he hasn't been properly disciplined by his parents, then they have no right to take him before the court. Third thing I would note about this is that this is not a situation of the court stepping in between the parent and the child, trying to take the child from the parent, as many times seems to be happening today, where juvenile courts and welfare departments and so on have their own notions about what's good for children, and they try to take children away from parents. Sometimes maybe that's necessary, but in many cases, it's simply a matter of a different view of how children shall be raised. But here, the parents have tried their best, 
and the child has been disobedient. Both parents have agreed, and they take the child to the elders. The elders don't come to their home and get the child. They bring him to them. In other words, the role of the court and of the town elders here is a role of supporting parental authority, not undermining it or standing between the parent and the child. Anyway, so that your days may be long upon the earth could refer to the possibility that you might get stoned to death, but I think there is more to it than this. For one thing, you're going to have children yourself, probably. And your children will be watching you as you deal with your elderly parents. And they will learn from that. And how you treat your parents may have a lot to do with how your children decide to treat you. If you've neglected your parents, they may well neglect you. There's a saying that I've heard sometimes, be kind to your children, they will pick your nursing home. <laughs> and anyway, so those are some of the things to consider here, but those would be some of the reasons here. But now another thing, notice that it says, honor thy father and thy mother. Listen to their advice. Do you have to obey your parents? Well, in Ephesians, when Paul is talking to us, he says, obey. Moses simply says, honor. And I think there's a difference here. The difference probably is that when you have children that are living in the home, that are under their parents' support in the home, they have a duty to obey their parents. However, when a parent or when a child is no longer living in the home and when a child is self-supporting, then I don't think the child has a duty to obey the parents any further. He has a duty to honor them, though. honor, respect them, but and that, that duty is going to always exist, no matter how old you are, no matter how old your parents are. But as far as the duty to obey, I think that duty ends when the child becomes self-supporting. Another thing, though, following your parents' advice keeps you safe. Your parents tell you, don't run out into the street. Well, that's probably pretty good advice. It may save your life. And don't eat things out of capsules of medicine. That can save your life. So those are some of the things it means. Tell me why Relief Factor is so successful in lowering or eliminating pain. I'm often asked that question. Pete and Seth Talbot, the father and son founders of Relief Factor, tell me they believe our bodies were designed to heal. The doctors who formulated Relief Factor selected the four best ingredients, 100% drug-free ingredients that each help your body deal with inflammation. Order the three-week quick start now. Discount it to only $19.95 to see if it will work for you too. Call 800-500-8384. ReliefFactor.com. With the Democratic sweep officially in place, we are now at the mercy of tax and spend economics. Get ready for runaway national debt pushing the further devaluation of the dollar. So if you haven't invested in gold, now is the time to protect your savings. Birch Gold Group is the premier precious metals IRA company in America. With an A-plus BBB rating and thousands of satisfied customers, Birch Gold can help you move an eligible IRA or 401k into an IRA backed by gold. Go to birchgold.com slash radio for your free information kit. That's birchgold.com slash radio. 
Awesome and amazing day. Hey there, friends. It's John and Chelsea Jubilee. And today we have a message for you women out there. Are you premenopausal, postmenopausal, or maybe you're in the middle of menopause right now? Ouch. Listen, we have thousands of clients that have reported reversing all of their symptoms of menopause. Or maybe you have thyroid imbalances. Same thing for those women. Listen, this is your time. Absolutely. You can reverse all of those symptoms and you can be your real joyful, exuberant, and lean self again. Ladies, I don't care if six doctors told you you can't lose that fat after menopause or in menopause. You can. We have done it hundreds and hundreds of times, even in a medical setting, documented. So make your action call today. Log on to EnergizeHealth.com, EnergizeHealth.com, or call 888-444-8895. That's 888-444-8895. The following are real life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976. I initially was scared to call and immediately I felt relieved. They contacted all of our creditors and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976. That's 1-800-990-6976. Welcome back to Constitution Classroom here on the Loving Liberty Radio Network. We are with Colonel John Eidsmo from the Foundation for Moral Law, talking about the great commandment to honor thy mother and father. And Colonel, I have to admit, they had some pretty good incentive, <laughs> at least as, yes, as, as it was applied under, under Jewish law. And again, as you saw with the Jewish law there, that applied only to an adult child or near adult child, probably didn't apply to a little kid, but... And the parents had to have done their part, but the state does not come between parents and children. The state supports parental authority when the parents are having some difficulty. But following your parents' advice keeps you safe. My dad always loved to give me advice all the time, even when I was 40, 50 years old. And I sometimes got a little tired of that. But, you know, the older I got, the more I began to think things he was telling me really made some sense after all. And you know, my wife has a tendency to tell me the way I'm advising our children and our grandchildren, you are becoming more and more like your dad every day. And I say, yes, I am. Because you know why? Because I've come to realize he was right on a lot of things. But anyway, again, as we see, obeying and honoring your parents brings God's blessings on your life. It'll also be an example to your children, the way you treat your parents will influence the way they treat you, particularly as they pick your nursing home. And that raises a question, too. I've seen people ask, are we just simply putting our problems aside and neglecting them when we put our parents in a nursing home? And shouldn't we have them at home? Well, I'm not going to be judgmental on that because it's really going to depend on a lot of circumstances. 
You know, there are sometimes cases where a parent, an elderly parent, might be much happier being at home with the children, having the grandchildren around, and might be very helpful to those grandchildren. On the other hand, you may have a parent who simply cannot be taken care of. Maybe there are things that need to be done that neither of the children, the the son or his wife, neither of them are capable of doing. Maybe there's needs for medical things that they can't provide. There may be circumstances where that becomes impossible. And it may depend on parents, too. There are some parents that just simply don't want to be in a nursing home. There are others that if they have the companionship of people, they're own age and so on, that might be a very happy situation for them. Then we have all these questions about independent living versus assisted living and so many things like that. I'm just going to have to say, love your parents, respect them, and do what is best for them, considering very strongly their wishes. But I'm not going to say absolutely whether someone should or should not ever put a parent in a home of some type. Well, then we also read, though, in the passage we just read in Ephesians there, that parents provoke not your children to wrath. Now, this tells us that children need discipline, but they also need love. And being too harsh can make them rebel against you, make them rebel against your teaching, make them rebel against the church and everything you stand for. And so treat them kindly but also give them firm discipline. And then we read in Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. And I believe that. And I once in a while, I'm certainly in a national park, I'll see people in a camper trailer there, older people driving a camper trailer and have a bumper sticker in the back because we're spending our children's inheritance. Well, that kind of bothers me just a little bit. Yes, I don't think you have to just save and save and save constantly, but at the same time, I think it is good to leave some inheritance to your children. And I also think that might be better to do so a little bit later in life. My parents died when I was in my 50s. And I'm kind of glad that, well, I'm very glad they didn't die earlier. I'm certainly glad that our grandchildren got to know them and so on. But one of the things I'm pretty glad about is I didn't get any inheritance from them until I was in my 50s, which means I had to struggle. I had to work and save and plan. And I think that I'm better because I had the chance to do that. But at any rate, Consider that a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children, but it says to his children's children, one that will pass on and give them some stability, give them some security throughout life, but one that might also make the difference in whether or not they can go to a good Christian college and get a good education. Honoring parents, I suggest, is more difficult today. You know, technology We live in a very high-tech age, although 50 years from now, they'll probably look at us as being very primitive, but it seems high-tech now. But I remember when I thought the ultimate in high-tech was an electric typewriter. But, But anyway, Chesterton once said that many generations 
have considered themselves to be the wisest generation in history. But ours is the first generation to consider itself the wisest solely on the basis of being the most recent. And anyway, because of that, it's a little hard to honor parents if they seem old-fashioned, if they seem foolish, if they don't seem to understand technology and how that affects our lives today. We tend to look down on them, not realizing that they have accumulated a great deal of wisdom in their lives. That is one thing, again, that really irritates me when I go to nursing homes to visit people in our church and so on. When I see a lot of the people in these nursing homes talking down to the patients there, the residents there, as though they're children, well, yes, there may be some ways in which they're a little childish, but they have accumulated a great deal of wisdom in their lives, and sometimes they may not be able to express the wisdom that they have. Sometimes people that are elderly have trouble forming words, but that doesn't mean they have trouble forming thoughts, just getting them out. And again, sometimes we don't respect Another thing is the widespread prevalence of divorce today, where in many neighborhoods you will find that over half of the families are not the original husband and wife that had these children. And my wife taught in a school that was for underdeveloped children, underprivileged children, and most of the children there did not know who either did not know who their father was or didn't live with their father. The father was not part of the home. Most of them came from broken homes. And that tends to pit children against one parent. And sometimes parents will use children and try to influence children to turn the child against the one parent and in favor of the other. Sometimes we have a step-parent that comes in and the child has difficulty knowing, should my loyalty be to the step-parent or to my natural parent who I don't live with? And it puts everybody in a difficult position. But anyway, so divorce is another factor that makes honoring parents more difficult today than it has been in the past. Mobility is another factor. You know, most of the time, until a couple hundred years ago, parents pretty well stayed in the neighborhood in which they grew up. You pretty well lived in the neighborhood where you grew up all your life. And in fact, not only that, but people commonly worked close to home, too. Either you were on the farm, in which case you'd go out in the field, but you'd come home at lunch and come home at dinner. Or if you had a shop or something, chances are your residence was at the top of maybe the upstairs of the shop building and so on. But the idea that you leave home in the morning and go off to work somewhere way out of the neighborhood and you don't come back again until supper time or maybe not even then, that is a rather modern idea that really starts in the Industrial Revolution of the early 1800s. And so that, too, mobility makes it more difficult. Welcome back to Constitution Classroom. Today we are talking with Colonel John Eidsmo about 
One of the commandments, which uh, is making more and more sense as you go on, Colonel, and that is about honoring our fathers and our mothers. And then another factor for honoring parents, which makes it maybe a little more difficult today, is that the care of parents and the financial support of parents has to a large extent been taken over by the state. You have money taken from you for Social Security and Medicare, so when you're older age, those things are provided. But if you can't afford those, then you have other kinds of state aid, Medicaid, and things like that. So basically, the state takes over the care of parents. In the olden days, parents were, in many cases, largely dependent upon their children in their old age. And that was one of the reasons why children were considered a blessing, that they would provide for you in your old age. But at any rate, all of those things mean that honoring parents is more difficult today than it used to be. Well, what does it mean, though, to honor your parents? As we said, it's not necessarily the same thing as obey. You should still honor them, even if you don't obey them. And honor, I'll say, is it is personal. That is, honor is something that is given from one person to another. It is preferential, meaning not just that we honor all people, but we prefer our parent and give our parent honor above what we give to others. Honor is positional, that it is given because of the position that our parents hold. And it's not necessarily something that is earned. Some parents maybe not have not done that much to earn the honor of their children, but we honor them because of the position that they are in. Honor is practical. It's more than just giving lip service, saying, I honor you. Taking time with your parents, taking your parent to lunch, asking advice, going up to visit them, and so on, especially if they live a distance away, making several trips a year. I made a lot of trips back to Sioux City to visit my parents, many, many, many of them, especially in their old age. My only regret is I didn't make more, but I don't regret a single one of them. Honor is both public and private. You honor your parents in public, respecting them in front of other people. You do so privately. And honor applies even after death. And I urge people, when you're planning for your own death or when you're helping to provide and plan for your parents, that when it comes to a funeral, certainly there should be a funeral. I believe a funeral should honor the Lord, but also it should honor the parent. In fact, it should honor how the Lord has worked in that parent's life. And so that applies even after death. And one of the suggestions I'm going to give, and consider this as you plan for your own legacy, but what I find to be wrong, in my opinion, is I see so many people that they have an elaborate casket, really expensive casket, a casket that nobody's ever going to see once the dirt is put over the grave, And then just a little simple stone, John Smith, 1945 to 19 or 2025, whatever it might be, and nothing else. That dash between 1945 and 2025, there's a lot to be said in that dash. What is the story of that person's life? I suggest have a simple casket and then have a tombstone that reflects something of who you were, what you believe, perhaps a cross, perhaps a Bible verse, perhaps a symbol of the resurrection, perhaps 
something that says of who you were, what you believed, and what you stood for. But honor applies even after death. The command also applies to more than just parents. In fact, in Luther's large catechism, paragraph 141, he says, In this commandment belongs a further statement regarding all kinds of obedience to persons in authority who have to command and govern. For all authority flows and is propagated from the authority of parents. John Locke, who, by the way, came from a very distinctively Christian base, but in some ways may not have held strict Christian theology, particularly on the question of sin, but believed in the basics of Christianity, But John Locke said that all governmental authority flows from the commandment to honor your father and your mother. That was the initial authority structure that God established, the family, with the authority being in the parents. And then when we establish civil government, it is the parents who are delegating that authority to government. That's where the theory of social contract that John Locke taught, and that I believe is a biblical concept, that's where the idea of social compact comes in. Parents have authority to govern. They delegate that authority to civil government. And I'd further say that the command to obey is not an absolute command, that you obey so long as you are under your parents' roof. But even then, you obey your parents, and you obey the government only when what they command is in accordance with the word of God. If your your parents command you to go out and engage, let's say go out and engage in shoplifting to try to supplement the family income, that's contrary to God's command, thou shalt not steal. And so in a case like that, just as you would say to the government, we must obey God rather than men, so you have to say that to a parent as well. And that's not easy for a little child, of course. But children, I think, may assume that their parents are right unless they have reason to believe otherwise. That the circumstances that their parents know things that they don't. But if their parents command them to do something that clearly is contrary to the command of God, let's say if the parent commands the child, a teenage daughter, to go out of prostitution because we need the money, well, the girl should know from the word that that is contrary to the higher law of God and that she has to obey God, even if that means disobeying her parents. But most of the time, fortunately, we don't have that problem. But the point is the command to obey is a command that applies not just to parental authority, but it really is the basis for all governmental authority as well, because governmental authority proceeds out of parental authority. Some years ago, I published a work titled Historical and Theological Foundations of Law, and one of the things that I had done in my preparation for this book, and actually this was done several years before that for a law case, involving whether or not it's proper to display the Ten Commandments, I had done a computer search, what we call a Lexus search or a Westlaw search, but I had done this computer search putting in the term 
10 commandments to see how many cases would come up with that term. And then I fed in each commandment. Now, the problem is I fed it in using the King James Version. And so if there were the commandment could be stated by courts in other forms that it might not have come up with, but I came up with well over a thousand cases in which the Ten Commandments have been cited by courts of record in the United States. Now, when I say a court of record, that means either a federal court or a state supreme court, courts where you have written records, published records of their opinions. And anyway, besides over a thousand cases in which the Ten Commandments are cited in American courts, I found quite had a few cases that deal with the command, honor thy father and thy mother. And let's look at a few of these, especially as we have not too long left before this broadcast is finished today. But we have one case, Rickman versus Asheson. And this involved a lady who had grown up in Canada. And then with her husband, she had become a naturalized U.S. citizen. Her husband died. And then... After her husband had died, she learned that her elderly mother back in Canada was ill and needed care. And so she went home to Canada to take care of her mother. And the U.S. Immigration and Naturalization Service wanted to cancel her American citizenship because she had left her adopted home, the United States, and gone back to Canada. She argued, but I had to go back to Canada. I had to take care of my mother. Well, here's what a federal district court said in this case. It is Rickman versus Atchison. It is a 1952 federal district court case. And anyway, this judge had some very good words of wisdom for us, and I think some good words of reprimand for the naturalization service. The court said the sole and only reason for plaintiffs going to Canada was, as before stated, the condition of her mother and the fact that her mother, who had no other children, had no one else to look after her, and she did not have sufficient funds to secure the attention she needed, even if such attention could have been procured by the payment of wages to someone to look after her. It was of such compelling necessity for a plaintiff to take care of her mother as to amount to and was duress of such a nature that she did not and should not have resisted. Hi, I'm Wayne Alaroot for Patriot VPN. Patriot VPN is a virtual private network service that uses military-grade encryption to protect your Internet connection on all of your devices. With Patriot VPN, your data and Internet privacy is secure anywhere in the world. Why do you need Patriot VPN? Cyber criminals, government, even your own Internet service provider collect and use your private information without your knowledge. Examples in the news recently, remember all the companies that have been hacked? Cuba censored the Internet to kill protests? Here in America, conservative groups are being actively targeted. Your personal information and Internet history is being sold by your ISP. It's all happening every day, but not with Patriot VPN. With Patriot VPN, your Internet activity and history is protected from prying eyes forever. Patriot VPN is a veteran-owned business right here in the USA. For business or your family, starting at only $6.95 a month, use code WAR and get three months free. With an annual subscription, it's all at PatriotVPN.com. That's PatriotVPN.com. Spend a third of your life in bed. 
That's why we make the most comfortable sheets in the very best way. I'm Scott Tannen. Eight years ago, my wife Missy and I founded Bowling Branch to create the new standard in bedding. We source pure organic cotton and put workers' rights first. Today, Bowling Branch makes the highest quality sheets in the entire industry. You'll feel the difference of our famous signature sheets. They're made from pure organic cotton and get softer with every single wash. Now's the perfect time to try Bowling Branch sheets, pillows, bath towels, and so much more. Each is made with super soft organic cotton by workers who are paid fairly and have come to feel like family. It's time to make the better choice and get the new standard in bedding. Visit BowlingBranch.com today for free shipping and returns. Experience a new standard of comfort at BowlingBranch.com and take 15% off your first set of sheets with promo code GOLD. That's B-O-L-L and Branch.com. Promo code GOLD. The following are real life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976. I initially was scared to call and immediately I felt relieved. They contacted all of our creditors and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976. That's 1-800-990-6976. We welcome you to our final segment of today's Constitution Classroom with Colonel John Eidsmo from the Foundation for Moral Law. Colonel, you were reading uh, the court's response to an interesting case of a woman who lost, almost lost her citizenship because she was taking care of her mother at, at her end of, end of her life. And, and unfortunately, we hit the break. You were saying the court, uh, the court was continuing in its, in its comments. Yes, this is Federal District Court, Rickman versus Atchison, 1952. And the mother had gone back to Canada to take care of her elderly mother. And the U.S. government was seeking to cancel her citizenship. And the court continued by saying, the plaintiff performed her God-commanded duty to her mother with the result that certain United States agents are now attempting to forfeit her citizenship in this country. Should such a dutiful daughter be deprived of the priceless possession of her American citizenship, for doing nothing other than her filial duty? I think not. And in view of all the facts and circumstances in this case, I hold that plaintiff's stay in Canada was in legal effect involuntary, and as such, it could not be a ground for forfeiture of her nationality and citizenship in the United States of America. Again, specifically citing the command, honor thy father and thy mother. Now here's another interesting case. This is out of New York. Equity Investments versus Paris, and this is a 1981 case. And anyway, this involved a lady, Mrs. Paris, who had moved her elderly parents into the spare bedroom of her apartment. And apparently, her lease with the landlord didn't allow for that, and the landlord was seeking to evict her. And anyway, the civil court of Queens County took the case, 
And I called the case, an interesting dilemma of a conflict between two laws, one written in stone approximately 3,500 years ago, and the other written by mere mortals in 1962. The former is the fifth of the Ten Commandments given to Moses on Mount Sinai, and the latter is Section 52A of the New York City Rent Control Regulations. And the state apparently had argued that the Ten Commandments were not relevant. They're not part of the law of New York. But the judge said, if we had eyes to see the subtle elements of thought which constitute the gross substance of our present habit, both as regards the sphere of private life and as regards the action of the state, we would easily discover how very much we owe to the Jews for the Ten Commandments and other contributions to Western law. The public policy of the state, as expressed by statute and by decisional law, is not in conflict with the Fifth of the Ten Commandments. It is all too rare in these troublesome times of self-indulgence to find people willing to sacrifice their own comfort and serenity for the sake of their parents. Therefore, far be it from this court to punish such devotion. A similar principle in another case, Beatty versus McGoldrick. This is also a New York case of 1953 involving a landlord evicting a tenant so that his elderly father could move into the apartment. And the court said, the sole issue to be reviewed is the finding that the landlord failed to establish the existence of immediate and compelling necessity. Such necessity seems to have been amply demonstrated to give comfort and heal the man in his last years. Is the father, husband, and grandfather of the family unit conforms not only to the very essence of the Decalogue, but is an immediate and compelling necessity in every other sense of the term. So once again, recognizing the obligation in this case of a landlord to move his father into an apartment in place of a tenant. And anyway, citing specifically the Decalogue as the basis for doing so. Well, we have other cases involving the obligation of a child, an adult son in this case, to pay for the care of a parent. And sometimes children can be required to pay for the care of their parents. And in California versus Copas, the California sued in the Texas courts to require an adult son to pay for the care of his mentally ill mother. The Supreme Court of Texas ruled that Copas could be required to make up back payments up to the time that he moved to Texas. And one judge said, the command is honor thy father and thy mother, Exodus 20:12. Like others in this code of laws, it is directed to the adult citizen who is burdened with the care of an aged parent and is a warning against the heathen habit of abandoning the aged when they can no longer care for themselves. Texas should not become a haven for deserting providers who would ignore or repudiate their duty to support. Over and over again, we see cases in which the courts of the United States have looked to this commandment as a basis for upholding orders protecting the family. We find, for example, the case Feller versus Universal Funeral Chapel. Supreme Court of New York refused a 
daughter's request for the ashes of her father, simply saying in this case that she did not exhibit the respect for her father that we expect from one of her background, social as well as cultural. She was unmindful of the commandment and sought to determine for herself, privilege reserved only for those claiming omniscience, the standard which would justify her recognition of her father. This is not the thinking of a dutiful daughter. In other words, the court is saying she really cannot at this point claim the privileges of being an heir here to receive the ashes of her father because she has not shown the respect to her father throughout her lifetime. In Streamer versus Coe, Supreme Court of Texas said, Honor thy father and mother is a command not only of the Decalogue, but of nature. And suits in which rights can be claimed only through the alleged turpitude of a parent are not to be encouraged. Another interesting case, Raymond versus the Superior Court of Sacramento County. In this case, a California Court of Appeals reasoned that in a case where you had a search warrant, a child is at home, the officer serving the search warrant wants to search the house, and he orders the child to lead him into the bedroom of his parents. The child doesn't want to do that, says he's not supposed to, but the police officer orders him to. Well, the Supreme or the, the Superior Court of Sacramento County, California, said that the officer had acted wrong. That the search and seizure law, even the Fourth Amendment, conceivably, look at these words, conceivably, incorporates some elements of the biblical Fifth Commandment. What they're saying here is that even the search and seizure powers must be interpreted in such a way as to protect the right of a child not to have to lead police officers into his parents' bedroom. Then we have an interesting case here, too, involving a small child who'd been injured by a railroad train, and he had brought suit, claiming that the engineer had failed to sound the warning signal. But the railroad's defense was that this child's parents were contributory negligent. Court said, yes, they probably were guilty of contributory negligence, but this didn't bar the child from recovery. And the court said, to charge the child with the negligence of the parent or custodian in such a case would be as said by the Supreme Court of New York in Lannan versus Gaslight, to visit the sins of the fathers upon the children to an extent not contemplated in the Decalogue or in the more imperfect digests of human law. All of this we can see the Ten Commandments are alive and well. The command to honor thy father and thy mother is alive and well. And the father, the family, is the basic unit of society. Family existed before the church. The family existed before the state. And the state gets its authority by power delegated to it by God through parents. We should therefore take parental responsibility very seriously. Schools should recognize that in their teaching and in their disciplining of children and so on, that they are not supposed to be substituting for the parents. They are not supposed to be placing themselves between the parents and their children. We've seen cases lately in which parents have not been able to send their children to school, which 
in some cases may be a good thing. One of the results of them having to monitor their children's education at home is seeing what the children are being taught and realizing this isn't what we want our children being taught, as a result of which home schools and Christian schools have increased exponentially as a result of all this. But even schools have a duty to respect parents. Thank you.